Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Carol Stanton, and you're listening to Sony Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with South African champion Carol Stanton about competitiveness, stepping up your game and bridge bingo. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? Hi, Catherine. I am well. How are you? I'm well. I'm well, thank you. You know how last week we were talking about how you cut and paste that work document to the table? <laughs> oh, that was so funny. And then <laughs> and the opponent said, yes, ma'am. Because <laughs> yeah. I was giving very clear direction to the opposing counsel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not quite the same, but I was playing online today and a couple of people were pasting in those emojis. You know, some people paste in all those cute little emoticons, and I don't know how they do it. You do it. You do it. I do the smiley face and I do a winky <laughs> face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you do those things. I know how oh, you do the smiley face. Right. Well, but that's as sophisticated as I get. But some people have got this whole thing going on, this whole emoticon language. I don't know if they've done some special work on the side to save them all up so that they can copy and paste them in. I think they must have. Okay, people, you need to tell us how are you cutting and pasting your emojis beyond just the smiley face? Mm. Because we want in. We want in. We want in. We want to be as sophisticated emoji pasters as the next guy. So, yeah, please tell us. Please tell us. We're waiting <laughs> by the mailbag. <laughs> Speaking of mailbag, Jocelyn, we have had a couple of letters. Would you like me to read them to you? Always. Okay. Our first letter is from Ken, 
And Ken writes, thanks so much for your entertaining and informative podcast. Oh, nice. No worries, Ken. Thanks for writing. Really appreciate it. My partner and I, while still holding fewer than 1,000 master points each, decided to enter the three-day border match competition at the Nationals, thinking that it would be a good experience. After the first half of the first day, we checked our results and saw our names at number 142 out of 144 teams. (laughs) Oh, God. I wish I could say that was not a familiar experience, but it's all too familiar. Well, he says it wasn't too surprising. We thought that somehow we'd then get matched against some weaker teams so that things might get better in the evening session. We sat down at the table for the first match, and while waiting for the boards to appear, I peeked over at the opponent's convention card and saw that they play a strong club system. I began asking them about some of their opening bids so that my partner and I could discuss our defence. After several questions, I noticed the names at the top right of their cards. Jeff Mextroth and Eric Rodwell. (laughs) I was going to say, again. Yes. Oh, my God. They just keep appearing and 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 just <laughs> intimidating our poor listeners <laughs> though i do believe jocelyn that they're very nice gentlemen oh i'm sure they are we we've heard only nice things about them yeah yeah but they're still really intimidating <laughs> they so up especially if you're going into the evening session hoping that like things will have sorted out and you're going to get matched to you know maybe a less challenging pair yeah. Maybe more at your level. No, yeah. no, you get, <laughs> you get Megwell. <laughs> Nothing could be farther. My mind immediately thought that this must be a joke since they couldn't have matched us lowly players with such stars. I slowly looked up and for the first time peered at our opponents and sure enough, it was no joke. The truly interesting part was yet to come. My partner and I made a shaky three no Trump contract and later discovered that our teammates had defeated the same contract at the other table. Yeah. Woo! What a thrill to have won a board against Mechwell. Very nice. I later showed the hand to an expert friend of mine who asked how the hand was played. She started to laugh and pointed out that Mechstroth had defended in the statistically correct way. Of course. Yes, of course. But the cards didn't lie that way whereas our teammates had defended in a less skillful manner but got lucky to defeat the contract. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, there was never any doubt (laughs) that luck was creeping in there. Yeah, no. Ken says, my bubble was burst, but it was still a lot of fun and we got a story to tell. We were eliminated after the first day, but we were dead last. Mechwell came in second overall in the event, but I don't think our small victory kept them from winning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ken, that's a great story. Thanks so much for sending it in. Oh, that's terrific. And we have another short message from Lorraine. She says, hi, ladies. I was listening to your show today and I started to laugh when you said, don't play scared, which I think might have been in episode 10. We were quoting Maria Konnikova from her book, The Biggest Bluff, which is about poker. And that's one of her maxims. Well, I'm sure it's not hers, but she talks about that. And we were discussing that in relation to bridge. And um, Lorraine says, down here in Texas, we have the saying at the bridge club, play big or go home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's great. 
Yeah, she says, I really enjoy your podcasts. Lorraine, thank you, Lorraine, so much for writing. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I love those local sayings that people have around bridge. Yeah. Maybe they're not always local, but we're just learning about them. We love them. Please send us any fun expressions that you've encountered at your bridge club. Mm. We'd always love to hear those. So please do send them in to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or via Instagram, sorrypartnerpodcast, or you can leave us a voice message. And all the links are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Carol Stanton. So this is the part where we get real and ask for your support. As you know, the podcast is available for free and it's a labor of love, but it does take a lot of time and effort to put together. Donating is easy. You go to sorrypartner.com and you'll see a tab along the top, support the show, and that takes you right to our secure Patreon page. Many of you have contributed already and we are so grateful. But if you haven't, we'd really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Now, back to the show. South African champion Carol Stanton learned to play bridge as a child, but she didn't start playing competitively until she went to university. She has represented South Africa at the World Championships on the women's team and at the European Transnational Championships on the women's, mixed, and open teams. She has also won various regional tournaments, including first place in the women's at the African Zonal Championships. She is passionate about bridge development and is part of an initiative working to introduce bridge into schools. We began by asking if she'd had any interesting hands lately. Well, I had quite a fun hand this morning. So I pick up a Singleton Singleton, five diamonds to the queen ten, and six clubs to the ace queen ten nine. So I decide I'm going to pass with this hand, so I pass, and my left-hand opponent bids a heart. My partner passes, and my right-hand opponent bids a spade. So I decide I'm going to bid two no trumps here, which in this case would show five five in the minors. So I bid two no trumps, and my left-hand opponent passes, and my partner bids three diamonds. My right-hand opponent now bids four spades. So the auction continues, I pass, my left-hand opponent passes, and my partner now bids five diamonds, which now gets doubled by the opponent. So we all pass, and hoping that this is going to go well, and I put, well, my hand gets put down as it does on BBO because it was online, and my partner actually landed up making plus one. So we got a nice 950 for our efforts. And after the hand, my partner messages me and she says, well, I have been told that if you want to get doubled, you should bid this slowly. <laughs> so, so we had a little bit of a chuckle about the fact that normally if she bids something slowly, she gets doubled and she goes down a bit. But this time she managed to orchestrate it. So she got doubled in the contract for a nice top 100%. So we were pretty happy about it. <laughs> That's great. I believe in the U.S. we call that walking the dog. And it can be a very fruitful tactic. If, of course, you don't end up getting passed out well below the game contract that you were aiming for. 
So that's always the risk. What's your earliest memory of bridge? Well, I've been playing since I was 11. I always used to play cards with my grandparents. And so we'd always be playing whist. And I remember my uncle coming home one night um, when we were visiting my grandparents in Botswana. And he was talking about bridge. And I knew enough of the terminology that I could kind of follow it. But there was a whole bunch of it that I was like, well, what is this game? What is this game? And he was really sweet. At the time, we were living in South Africa. And so the first thing he did was he gave us those auto bridge. Do you remember those old plastic auto bridge things? I mean, like it was, it was a very long time ago, but what I remember is was this big plastic, well, this plastic contraption. And then you would get your hand and you would basically like say what your bid was and then slide a little thing, a compartment to see if it was correct. And you'd get these pieces of paper that you would slide into it. And so basically you'd like reveal various things as it goes along. I don't remember how the card play worked though. It was a very long time ago, but soon after that, we moved to Botswana and my grandfather landed up being the principal of my high school. And I was very fortunate because my best friend, her sister was my sister's best friend. So the four of us landed up learning bridge together and we would go to each other's houses and we would put MTV on the background, you know, just so that we were that much of a dog and then play bridge for the entire (laughs) afternoon. And that's what we used to do as friends. So it was great. Did you go as a group of four to the Duplicate Club together? Yes, we, we did. I think my grandfather gave us about 10 lessons and there was like, go play Duplicate. There was no you know, steady progression. It was sort of go and lose. And we did, and we lost a lot, but they were so sweet. They started giving prizes for the losers so that we would keep <laughs> coming back. So I mean, they were so lovely about it. Um, and then when we were about 16, the Botswana Bridge Federation organized for a whole bunch of girls. I mean, in Botswana, bridge was a big thing. We used to go to student tournaments where there'd be like 103 pairs. And it was really large. And so about, I don't remember how many, I think about 12 or 16 of us got sent to South Africa for the South African Women's Bridge Association event. And I remember on the first day, my partner and I were like 103 out of 104. (laughs) But by day number three, we managed to pull ourselves up to 76. So the amount that we learned in just three days of proper competitive bridge I do believe we drove some of the ladies crazy, though, because I don't think our bidding was very good. So I'm pretty sure they had no idea what they, what we were doing. But we learned a lot in those couple of days, and it was a really fantastic experience. And how did you go from, from being those young women, having just learned to play and playing competitively at a club, to becoming a national champion? Well, a lot of bridge in between. When I went to university, I moved back down to Grahamstown in South Africa. And I was very fortunate because my grandfather and my grandmother, who taught me to play bridge, moved 45 minutes away. And on Thursdays, because I only had morning lectures, I would go with the Grahamstown bridge group and we would go 20 minutes away. And my grandparents would also go 20 minutes away and we'd play at this club in Bathurst. So I got to see my grandparents sort of every Thursday and play against them. 
So I've sort of, I've been playing on and off wherever I've gone. And I've been very fortunate because wherever I go, somebody teaches me something new. I mean, since my grandfather, we didn't really have that many lessons. But every time I moved, I would encounter a new bridge partner and they would teach me something new, a new system. And I would learn it and you sort of, we'd get better and better. And then I'd move again. And then I'd find another bridge partner who would teach me something new and I'd get better and better. And eventually, when I finally finished my travels and I moved back down to South Africa, I realized, oh, gosh, this is actually properly competitive. I can do really well. So I started reading a whole bunch of books. I got hold of a whole bunch of different books and just started reading. And I didn't know that there was so much material out there because everybody I've ever played with beforehand, it was more social. So once I got hold of the books and I just started studying and learning and I was very fortunate to meet somebody who was also very competitive and we formed a partnership and yeah, I mean, I essentially entered trials not to win it, but because I knew that I wanted to get better. So what better way than playing against a whole bunch of fantastic, intelligent, skilled women for an entire week, I thought all my chickens had come home to roost. You know, this was going to be the best week. And we landed up winning it. And then South Africa was amazing because between that event and the African Zonals, they got us a whole bunch of lessons for free. And that was the first time that I'd had lessons since my grandfather. And it was fantastic. I just absorbed it all and it was great. And we went to the African Zonals and we went, won that and then had more lessons. And then we went to Wuhan and we lost a lot there and lost very badly. <laughs> But we had a great time, and that's how it happened. Who is the most fascinating person that you've ever encountered at the bridge table as a as a partner or opponent? Well, I haven't played that many events in which I can say I've played against this person a lot or that person a lot. When I was in Wuhan playing in the Venice Cup, I met a lot of lovely people, amazing sort of I landed up um, getting wonderful screen mates. So I, I remember chatting with Heather Dondee and we were talking about where to go watch the rugby because the Rugby World Cup final was on at the same time. <laughs> I remember playing the New Zealand team on the same day that New Zealand was playing against South Africa in the rugby. And I remember their coach coming by being like, this is the first, <laughs> the, the first of the two competitions or whatever. And... We lost both, so that wasn't a great success story. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most unexpected place that you found yourself playing bridge? Well, I moved to Japan when I was about 24 as an assistant language teacher. And when I got there, I mean, I've been playing bridge a lot and it's been a lot of part of my life. So I asked everybody, is there a bridge club here in Nagasaki? And nobody knew. None of the other assistant language teachers who were all in their 20s or so, they were just sort of like, bridge club? They looked at me a little bit strange, like you're coming to Japan and you want to play bridge? And I asked some of the teachers I was teaching with and nobody knew. So I did what anybody does in a foreign country wants to play bridge. You go on BBO. So I'm in a random pickup game and lo and behold, my opponent turns out to be a Japanese man from Nagasaki on his profile. So I'm, oh, this is excellent. So I message him on BBO and I was dreading this because my Japanese at the time was pretty bad. 
But fortunately, his English was fantastic and he could understand what I was looking for. So he organized or told me where I could find a bridge club. So off I went in Japan and found my bridge club. And I played with them for a couple of times and they invited me to enter a tournament in Fukuoka, which was the capital of the, of the island. And so off we went to Fukuoka. And at this stage, I mean, what, I must have been about 20, well, 24. So I've been playing bridge for 13 years or whatever. But because obviously at this stage, I don't have any master points, I get put in the beginner section. So I'm in the beginner section and I meet my partner for the first time there. I think she had better English than I had Japanese, but we managed to make it work. We managed to discuss system and we landed up. I mean, just sort of, we walked it. And I think, I mean, sort of, I think we were probably in the wrong section, but we had a great time and I got my first gold medal for bridge, which I was super chuffed with. I didn't know you could get gold medals and yeah, packed it, traveled the world with me. It's back home here in South Africa. Got my gold medal for Japanese for playing in Japan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play? Well, the prettiest tournament I've ever played in was in Mombasa in Kenya, and that was beautiful. It was a beautiful venue, and it was right by the ocean, and... I had this wonderful room that was opposite for Jesus. That was really lovely. But my most, the, the, well, the tournament that I would really like to go back to are more likely the, the, the trials and the African zonals and the Venice Cup because I love that it's just such a heavy level of competition for so many days. You've really got to focus and concentrate and it's just, it's kind of like hit after hit, but I really thrive in that. I really liked I liked meeting and seeing everybody that, you know, you, you've got all their books and now you see them in real life. So I, I like those too. Have you always enjoyed that level of competition, the intensity of it? Yes, I have. I remember sort of when I was still learning and I hadn't encountered the books and things. And one of my friends said to me, she said, because I was playing in um, university at the time and I would play with my bridge partner and we would win week after week after week. And she once said to me, 
what do you want from bridge? And I said to her, I just don't want it to be boring. I want it to be more challenging. I want to find it difficult. I want to sort of really have to struggle to, to, to find the correct place because the defense is on form. So moving up those levels really catered to that need and that drive that the harder it got, the better it got for me. And, and that's what I love about bridge, you know, sort of for me, it was never about winning. It's about properly testing myself. What would you say to people who would argue that women aren't as competitive as men? Oh, I've heard this so many times. I've had so many arguments. I don't believe that's true at all. I think women have just as much desire to win, just as much focus. I think putting it down to nature rather than nurture means that the situation will never change. Because if it's nurture, then you can address where the issues are, why we aren't pushing ourselves and challenging ourselves and bidding or being what they would classify as not as competitive. But the minute you put it down to nature, then you just resign it to an idea that there is something inherently different between the two genders. And I don't believe that's true. I've read articles that basically state that women are more afraid to fail, okay, while men are more afraid not to succeed. And it's the way that you often get brought up. You know, don't climb that tree, you might fall down. All those different types of things. And I think that often filters into the way that bridge is played by some of the different genders is that perhaps women are more afraid to go down in a contract while well, men are more afraid not to be in the contract or more afraid not to be challenging the opponents. And that level of competition or that old statement about women not being as aggressive, all that kind of stuff, if that philosophy filters through in an understanding of the way that women are generally being taught in real life or in life that's beyond bridge, then that also would filter into the way that we are being taught bridge. and. For me, I think that teaching from the get-go that losing is not a big deal, going down is not a big deal. The problem is sort of if you aren't working it out why that's happening and looking at the results and playing in events with men or that are, that are more competitive for a higher level and pushing yourself and working out and evaluating the hands why did I not find the five diamond sacrifice? Why was I afraid not to go to that five diamond bit? Why did various people find that? And how did they do it? And how did they know it was going to be a good sacrifice and that they weren't going to go for 800? That kind of educational learning and not being afraid of that is the most important thing. As you look at the way your game has developed, and playing with the different partners that each taught you something new. It sounds like one of the things, at least, that you have focused on was in the bidding, getting in there, being competitive, and learning how to sacrifice without, you know, having a terrible result. I don't know if you can talk about the trajectory that that might have taken. Honestly, I don't know if I've successfully managed that area. It's more of an idea of I know where I'm suffering. And that's one of the areas, which is why I started to look into it and work out where the psychology was before it. 
So in terms of analyzing, sacrificing or being more competitive or getting in there, I'm still learning a lot about my judgment. And that's one of the areas I'm trying to focus on, which is why, you know, why I'm doing this research about it now. So I wouldn't say that that would be a strong point of my play or of my bidding. So I don't know if that changes your question. Are there any books in particular that have helped you in this journey? I love Mike Lawrence. I've got his Judgment at Bridge number two. And I, his, I think it was Evaluating Bridge. Maybe a complete book of hand evaluation? Yes, that's it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so I probably should be ordering more books but on that specific um, topic. But I found those very useful to me. What would one of your partners say is your strongest area in the game? Well, one of my past partners said that I was very good at counting out the hands, that I would have good recollection of most of the hands. I'm not quite sure what my regular partner, Vanessa Armstrong, would say my best part of my game is. I would like to hope that it would be that she can trust me and that trust my signaling. But I have been known to do some strange things, so I don't know how much I've done to do that trust. Hopefully nothing, nothing too bad. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened when you were playing bridge? Well, I have a kind of different answer to this. I have the funnest experience playing bridge. So when I was 32 and it was my birthday, I decided I was going to do the thing that I love, which is play bridge. But obviously, it's a birthday party. So I made it a bridge bingo birthday party. So I set out these bingo sheets and I got four tables. And my friends from Kenya, they all came over. And I set these bingo cards so that there would be a lot of things sort of you get your opponents down one, you get your opponents down two, and you cross it off. And, you know, sort of if you get a line, you get a bingo and you get a prize. But what I also included is. For most of the contracts, you have to bid and make exactly four hearts or bid and make exactly four spades or bid and make exactly three no trumps. So if you made three no trumps plus one, you couldn't cross it off the bingo sheet. <laughs> this became hilarious because you landed up like interplaying your opponents not to get an extra trick. But so you could ditch two of them. <laughs> and they're, meanwhile, trying to give you an extra trick so as to foil your bingo card. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the partnership arguments were hilarious. Why didn't you throw away the Ace of Hearts? Why didn't you throw away the Ace of Hearts? And the other lady's going, but it's an Ace of Hearts. It goes against every instinct. I can't throw away Aces. And the other woman's busy having a fit because they've just given an extra cross for the opponents. They're sort of like, you're having to count your spot cards, but not your high ones, your low ones, so that you can realize, oh, like, my eight is low. I can exit with the eight of spades and I'll throw somebody <laughs> in and they get an extra trick. That's so funny. So that was, that's been my, I think, the highlight of my, my bridge, whatever. I loved that day. I mean, it was so amusing. I was entertained for the entire day. Is there a hot button issue when it comes to bridge that's particularly important to you? I think at the moment, we're really focused on development of bridge in South Africa, particularly the Western Cape and 
we're running all these online teaching sessions that are subsidized by the Western Cape and the SADF. So it's all going very well, but we're not diversifying enough. So we're starting to try and get it into schools. And for me, it's very important about the way that we teach students because, I mean, one of my regrets is that for 20 years I was playing social bridge and I've only been playing competitively for such a short time. So I feel sort of I'm very inexperienced in that area and I want to sort of like backtrack that so that you teach in the beginning so that we can land up with in maybe 10 years a really good pool of young South Africans who can play bridge and play it well and play it at a level that we can be proud of. And there's no reason. I mean, I found when I went to China, because I also taught in China for a month before I ended up going to Wuhan, that cards were such a natural part of each family's life that it was very easy to introduce bridge into China. And in South Africa, a lot of families play clabias. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's a, also it's a Trump-based game. So if we have the culture in South Africa of playing, and particularly in the Western Cape, of playing cards, then I'm hoping it's not going to be too hard to put it into schools. But obviously with COVID, those plans have all been backtracked and we're only starting to get it back into schools and finding teachers in South Africa who are willing to volunteer their time and go to schools um, because some of the areas are quite remote and really find a way to, to introduce this, that it's easy, cool, clear and competitive. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this plan is structured? Well, we're starting to develop it now. So what we're doing is we're trying to standardize a curriculum that we're using. And a lot of it is very slow at the moment. It's sort of if you know a teacher in a school that you can go to that school and suggest that we teach bridge there. And then it's sort of a volunteer basis. But we've got a couple of plans to try and make it easier maybe having one central location point and then having students bust into it so that we can teach at just one because we're struggling to find teachers who are willing to volunteer their time to go to these schools. So we're trying to find different ways to overcome that. And one of the other suggestions is that we either make or find good YouTube videos and get a workbook or create a workbook attached to it and then send out the YouTube videos with a workbook and with the hands or that the teacher with the teacher's material so the teachers can actually just set up the boards for the children. As I said, this is very much sort of in the infancy stages and we're still doing a lot to just try and work out how to get it more into schools. But I have a meeting with the school next week and apparently the students are very keen. So I'm hoping that we can get it going properly. Sounds great. I think a lot of countries are probably interested in finding what works and will be very interested to hear how this goes. Yeah, well, let's let's hope it works out and that we do land up actually getting some students we can land up sending to a junior junior world championship one year. Well, keep us updated because we can post on Instagram and whatever, so let us know how it goes. Carol, is there a favorite convention or gadget that you really love to use with your partners? So we recently learned, my partner and I recently were taught Transfer Walsh. 
which we've really been enjoying. And we, we've really struggled a bit with some of the, the conventions, but we were suggested to play a two diamond bid, which was 19 to 20 points and a balanced hand. And originally we both kind of looked at this being, oh no, like there goes our week twos or because we were originally playing it as a different sort of a very, very weak two in the majors. And so we were a little bit concerned about taking it on. But actually now I really love it because if partner opens two diamonds and they've got a balanced hand um, and 90 to 20 points, we can actually bail out in two diamonds. We can bail out in three clubs. We can investigate all different types of shapes of hands through the, the, the different structures in it. So I... Don't know what it's called, actually. I tried to research it before the interview, but I couldn't find it. But I've really been enjoying the 90 to 20 balanced two diamond bid. Is there a particular convention that you just can't stand? I don't understand don't. (laughs) Various people have tried to introduce it to me, but whenever somebody says, when I ask them, what is your defense against a no Trump? And they say, don't. I'm immediately sort of my gut drops and I'm sort of, oh no, here we go. Because I don't understand how you work out which is the dominant suit. I don't know what to do after they bid two clubs. I, I get, it's sort of like this vague fog that I land up in and I just don't know how to find my clear way out of what I should be doing. And I don't know if that's because of the way that it's been described to me, or maybe I'm particularly dim when it comes to don't, but I like knowing where my, if if partner has a five card major and I like knowing what it is. I don't want to have to guess what my partner's major is and whether it's four or whether it's five or whether there's, it's five clubs and I should be passing. I, I just don't know. And I've, I've read all the benefits I know. You can pass out and you can get out in two clubs where you can't do the same in other systems um, if you're playing Hamilton or Multilandy or various other things. So I, I understand that there are benefits, but for me, I find it very foggy and I don't like it to be that foggy. What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? Well, I remember when I was very young And I had something like, I think it must have been about 22 points in my hand. And the opponents had an extremely distributional hand. So I think they opened and they got the contract before I could get in there or whatever. And I'm sitting with 20 or 22 points and this contract's going down. There's no way I've got all the, I've got 20 points. How can this possibly make? So I doubled it and they made it based on the distribution. And one of the best tips was be very, very careful of doubling distributional hands. And I learned that from a very young age. And every time people open two suitors, I sit there and I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe not. So thank you. And I think the lady's name was Glynis. So thank you, Glynis, for that tip. It's done me well. Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you so much. It was terrific. Thank you so very much for having me. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Carol Stanton. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Paul Chirasso. 
Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Thank you also to our friend, Larry Cohen. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website at sorrypartner.com, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Carol says, think twice before you double a distributional hand. Mm -hmm. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.